So far, so good. Reading the news, crazy shit. I feel, I feel. I mean, this is a... Uh... 2021 has just exhausted all my uh, emotions towards news, so now I'm just numb to everything. Yeah. For context, by the way, this is there. There's a uh, what we just read was the uh, British uh, parliamentarian who was just attacked and stabbed and killed. Um, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I just heard about that. So they yeah, they, they uh, deemed I mean, it a terrorist incident. Yeah. Oh god. Okay. We're not we're not going to become one of those podcasts. Like I'm no. terribly sorry for his family's loss, but we're not going to become one of those podcasts. Not um, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Speaking of uh, terrorist, what is that fucking picture you sent me? It's your engineering department. It, it looks like the backdrop of like a grainy video from like Al Jazeera in two thousand five. Like none of you has seen a barber in a decade. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, we we feel like we haven't seen a barber or or, or the sun, let alone in in, in a decade. Um, we've Dude, been shave. Um, <laughs> I, I I have since that picture though. That's that's a very that, that's the good news of this basically. Literally, like the, the picture looks like the, I, I wish I could show it on a podcast, but your engineering department <laughs> looks like a bunch of billy goats from like the FBI's most wanted list in a room with computers. <laughs> I mean uh my, my my rebuttal to that would basically be which engineering department doesn't look like that? All right, okay, good point. Yeah. <laughs> True, true. We're, we're, we're just trying to fit in right now. There is a negative correlation between uh, hygiene and uh, technical ability. Exactly. Something I've discovered. Once but, once uh, you get to the, the big tech level, like the, the Facebooks and the Ubers, that's that's where that correlation starts becoming uh, positive and not a negative one. Um, but yeah, as long as you're kind of scrappy and, and, and in the trenches, basically, um, it's it's things things are nasty. Just just imagine like a World War One trench. That's that's how it is. It was effective, but not. It smells the best like place a gym to. that's never been cleaned. That's how you know they're good engineers. <laughs> yes, yes, definitely. Yeah, I mean, I mean, you guys look busy. What are you What are you doing? Oh man, I mean, uh, yeah, just like just like every early stage um, company at this point, we're we're just hell bent on churning out features and putting stuff in the hands of customers all the time. Um, this this week actually we had a very interesting release. So now, um, you know, might not have the time or be able to explain it to you know non uh, policy nerds basically. But um, we are able to implement features where you know users are able to filter bills by basically um, looking at organizations and the stances that they've taken on legislation in California. So one of the things you can now do on our platform is basically say, give me all the bills that Airbnb has supported in the past eight years, and we're just able to bring those up for you. So that's something that, you know, on on initially like specking this feature out was it was basically like impossible. But um, the fact that it's live and in production right now is just such an, a great feeling on our end. And um, we have all types of just very unique data that, are, that our advisors are just very um supportive with and they were able to give it to us and we integrate it into the platform in like the the most pipe dream ways possible so um we're we're just very very satisfied today and we so far we've had um one product demo with it and the person was basically like i am a hundred percent on board so yeah well i mean yeah that does appeal to policy nerds i suppose we actually have a hundred percent coverage of that market both of them listen to this podcast Oh, that's kind of true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh man, I've uh, I've just been working on uh, a bunch of legal crap 
literally reading, revising, and redlining documents, going back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. But uh, oh, but the worst part of this job, by far and away. But everything else is fun. Yeah, that's true. I mean, I'm surprised there's no way to automate slash streamline that at this point. Uh, Justin Khan had an attempt. Oh, is that is that um, Atrium? Yeah, right, Atrium. I keep calling it a firm, but yeah, Atrium. It's uh, <laughs> a firm is a startup. I think it just went public, actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A firm is the buy now, pay later thing, which is worrying in its own right. But um, right, right. Yeah, but by the way, did you see that ad? Like, you can now do a BNPL for for pizza. I'll be honest; I'm not 100 percent sure it wasn't a joke ad, but there were a lot of responses <laughs> to it that made it seem very legitimate, and I am very worried for the world if we need to do BNPL Domino's Pizza. Wow. There's, Parts parts of it honestly reek of subprime. I I am seeing that. I've actually I've 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 allotted some time this weekend to actually check out the Big Short again, just because it's one of my favorite movies and I miss it. But there are things that I've come across on my timeline that has made me remember that movie. So I I, I definitely want to see it yeah, again. Big Short is the ultimate like disaster porn for econ nerds. <laughs> yes. But uh, the actual events of that movie were playing out literally my first and second week of college. So my first day of college was September 1st, 2008. Uh, Coincidentally, also the first day of Ramadan. So, you know, first day of college, all alone, hungry, watching TV in the business school lobby. um, (laughs) And uh, just, you know, seeing things fall apart. And I think the week after was Lehman. And oh, right, you know, right. I'm I'm 17 at the time. I didn't really grasp the magnitude of what was happening. And then as the semester unfolded, it's like, oh, okay, so that was Armageddon. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I and think then, I think you know, the um I was because I was nine at the time, and I had no idea of what even the stock market was or what businesses going under meant. Um, it didn't hit me until like actually like a couple of years ago. Actually, it was, it was pretty. Um, it, it it was. Looking back at the time and noticing, like, oh, now I know why people were so stressed at the time. Um, it, it started making sense. But I mean, honestly, like, the, what precipitated that was was. Uh, by the way, listeners, I swear we have a show we're going to get into, but we're just going to shoot the shit on this for a second. But <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, I mean, what what precipitated that was like this mass expansion of credit with interest rates near zero. <clears throat> And, uh, uh, you know, people who really, really had no business taking out debt to buy assets were, were doing just that. And they were doing it in such, you know, monstrous velocity that uh, it backed up the entire, like, federal secondaries, uh, or sorry, the secondary mortgage market, Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac. Mm-hmm. And that's, you know, hundreds, just the trillions of dollars, like, securitized. And it was all, all built on crap loans, you know, done yeah. in piecemeal. And now, like, you know, I'm not saying BNPL is a bad idea. I'm not saying it's a it's a crap business model, but I feel like a lot of people who really have no business racking up, you know, incredible amounts of debt are the ones doing that. So I have to question, the, you know, the quality of some of these loans. And if people are quick to say, oh, but they're rated A, they're rated, you know, whatever. Well, I mean, so are those crap loans in the subprime days. Right. But, I, uh, think, I think if, if there's one way to understand how like bonds that are rated triple a and single layer double a um are not what they seem highly recommend and it's on youtube to check out um anthony bourdain the big short explaining it because yeah. that was the the most valuable lesson that i've at least i've ever picked up from that movie yeah yeah r.i.p anthony bourdain but it, it's um 
um, yeah, I mean, the way diversification was sold as a way to improve the rating, when in reality it was just them, you know, cooking otherwise well put together uh, structured assets um, by, you know, kind of inflating their worth with crappy assets and then using the word diversified to somehow make it seem like this was more desirable than what was previously straight AAA mortgages securitized with a 0% chance of ever defaulting. Mm-hmm. Um, Man, I don't know. It's, uh, every few years, the world has to have this conversation again of, of what is the place of regulators and, uh, um, and you know, is it worth supporting uh, what their current initiatives are despite not really knowing what the ultimate effects will be in five, six, seven, ten years' time, right? So back then, the idea was like, oh, we're expanding loans for everybody and uh, that will make everyone a homeowner and that will increase the size of the housing market and the construction and real estate industries will do really, really well, and everybody wins, and there's no downside. And that was, you know, truly right. the belief of uh, very educated, learned people at the Fed and, and government and politics. Like, you know, there are plenty of clips of President Bush saying that everybody in America should be a homeowner. There's no reason that shouldn't be the case. And for a while, it seemed possible with these crap loans at very, very right. cheap money. You know, I mean, we repeated the problem of the mid 2000s, expecting us, I mean, expecting an entirely different result. Like, you know true creation of wealth as opposed to just paper wealth that'll collapse once it can no longer be financed at much higher interest rates um money's sticky i still remember that from business school money is sticky money will stick to something it will inflate the valuation of an asset class somewhere somehow and it will create this illusion of wealth in the short term until things correct and uh, reality snaps back and we have to pay for the true um you know cost of the asset or or, or the financing uh, and then right. we and then we see what what the true wealth is and what the paper wealth is. Um, yeah, like yeah. F- fortunately and unfortunately, we don't have a Paul Volcker in the Fed in the Fed that could basically go, "All right, that's just uh, we know this is coming. Let's just lean into it." Basically, yeah, but you're also in a very very different political place now, which is you know, right. If if we go back to like five percent interest rates, then the U.S. federal budget will be like kind of one third or forty percent going to. Uh, servicing the debt, which is unreal in peacetime, like that, re- that really hasn't happened until. Um, uh, I mean, that hasn't happened since World War II when DOD was ninety percent of the budget. But, anyways, that's a whole yeah. other podcast. Um, but in terms Dude. of uh, you know clashes between uh, private industry and, and regulators, like, I've been following what's been going on with uh, Coinbase and the SEC recently. Have you seen that? Oh, that's been all over my timeline. I think. Yeah, yeah. When, before we get into it, I mean, Brian Armstrong, best communicator of current affairs at his company. So kudos to him. That's true. And he's also maybe like two or three bad meetings with the SEC away from marching down uh, Pennsylvania Avenue screaming, Shep, you'll read Scott and Avam. But uh, he's, uh, he, he's clearly growing irate. So we'll see whether that, that commentary of yours ages well. Um, so mm-hmm. if, if you're out of the loop, Coinbase has. Uh, by the way, two people understood the Arabic reference I just made. Coinbase has right. confirmed speculation that it is actively lobbying for a United States uh, crypto regulatory body. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. And uh, you know, th- this kind of clashes with the idea, at least in my mind, that crypto is sort of the domain of uh, uh, hardcore libertarian crypto anarchist type nerds, right? Like it's becoming more of a conventional asset class. Um, so, you know, all of this comes in the wake of um, an ongoing dispute with the SEC with respect to uh, what they're calling the crypto, uh, sorry, the Coinbase Lend app, which uh, Coinbase, you know, insists uh, is simply, uh, you know, a clone of the offerings of uh, 
uh, many other crypto exchanges currently operating in the U.S. have. Um, so crypto companies, by the way, like, you know, one of their initiatives recently is, is they're trying to build reserves of fiat currency in order to bolster stablecoin offerings. And uh, that's not true just of the U.S. dollar, but it's been occurring with a number of, of uh, currencies worldwide. So, you know, there's an initiative with the uh, Turkish lira, with the Argentinian peso. Um, some people in Germany are doing it with the euro. So, you know, this is this is it's a growing asset class, the stablecoin asset class, and there is an ongoing debate as to whether a fiat-backed crypto token is, you know, legally the same as a dollar bill or a bond. Now, it, it may seem irrelevant, but the thing is, a bond is regulated as a security. You cannot freely exchange a bond the same way you do with a dollar bill, and a whole other set of laws and regulatory bodies kick in um, when you're dealing in one versus the other. <clears throat> so Coinbase's plan, um, by the way, was to offer consumers roughly eight times the national average savings yield on accounts used to back the, what, they're called their, what they call their USDC stablecoin, the US dollar coin. That's one for one with the dollar. And eight times the national average savings yield is roughly 4% APY, which there isn't a bank in the United States or in the world is, that's, that's you know, willing to pay that on any kind of savings, savings account, standard savings account or checking account. Um, mm -hmm. So similar offerings have been made available, I mean, without express SEC permission. And the general crypto startup community, by the way, has, has uh, kind of embraced this with no sort of massive opposition from the government or from regulators. Um, you know, U.S. dollar coin, by the way, is already the second largest stable coin in the world by dollar value. Um, so the problem from a regulatory perspective is, is a coin backed by the U.S. dollar sitting in an account, um, is that a security or is it just a dollar? So Coinbase, again, being a publicly traded company, the first like crypto publicly traded company, um, thought it would be prudent to take this to the SEC first. Uh, you know, the offering of this uh, of the savings account and uh, the SEC informed them that they are going to seek an enforcement action in the event that they actually offer the Lend app, which uh, kind of blew the mind of uh, everyone working at, uh, at Coinbase because to them, I mean, they're just launching the same thing everyone else has launched, right? So according right, to the yeah. SEC, um, they have applied what's called the Howey test and the Reeves test. Now, the Howey case and the Reeves case are two Supreme Court cases from 1946 and 1990, respectively, based on this ancient case law that resulted from basically financial arrangements for agricultural investments. So, um, I mean, I can't go deep into the cases, but what it was basically was uh, some agricultural organizations set up these uh, promissory notes for investors to fund agricultural activities and then get paid uh, at end of season when the produce was sold. And there was a debate as to whether these promissory notes constituted a security or constituted a simple promissory note of less than nine months uh, tenure, which uh, automatically makes it not a security, which means the SEC and the CFTC don't get on your back. Mm -hmm. um, now, using this as case law to analyze the, the, uh, the realities of Coinbase's USDC project and the Lend app, um, it's it's... It's what the SEC is trying to apply, but the agency so far has refused to inform Coinbase how this precedent applies to the Lend feature, um, especially as it does not create an investment in which value is derived primarily from the effort of others. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm saying that in quotes because that's the standard used by the Supreme Court in deciding these cases. 
um, you know, and this was used to decide the agricultural financing cases. So <clears throat> SEC is refusing to comment on how these tests are being applied. And what was supposed to be standard back and forth between the SEC and uh, someone that they intend to regulate, I mean, it, you know, usually this ends with in one of two ways. Either they abort the product offering entirely, which Coinbase has not done because they've said that they're still intending to launch sometime in October. Or what happens is the company basically sidesteps American securities laws and offers this in some offshore jurisdiction, which, you know, in recent memory just means that a bunch of people in the Bahamas or Panama or whatever get really rich. Um, so what Coinbase has done, by the way, is somewhat unprecedented for both a tech company, which tends to dislike regulation, and for a crypto company, which tends to dislike the government, you know, given who their fans are. But they propose the creation of a brand new regulator. So, for example, um, you know, Binance and FTX both have U.S. and non-U.S. platforms built around different sets of laws. Uh, you know, if you have a Coinbase account outside of the United States, you cannot use, say, a credit card or a bank account to buy coins. But you know, Binance and FTX both seem to be happy with sort of arrangement, and none of them has gone far enough to propose a regulator. You know? Yeah, but I mean, I mean, that's the. That's the one very interesting part, the interesting approach that Coinbase has taken. Um, I think the the very interesting culture that has that has occurred in Coinbase since its beginning has basically been um, we're going to be public and we're going to be open about all of our struggles, all of our operations and everything we have. So, mm -hmm. you know, from from me being a founder that values transparency and tries to reflect that in our startup, that's something that I eventually look up to just being that massive public even um and still feeling that transparency is something that needs to be a pillar instead of just a yeah. nice little thing that make us look makes but, us look good but the question is does transparency have to come from kind of you know government fiat or or the government um putting a, a regulator stamp of approval on you i mean it, right. maybe a different set of rules will ultimately ap apply to DeFi startups as opposed to crypto in general like you know i don't think the sec is going to step in to start regulating crypto kitties but mm -hmm. um you know, the question is: If Coinbase never started as an equity business, if they never if they never raised a nickel of equity, if they started as a blockchain protocol in and of itself, and uh, um, you know, if they started offering Web three apps on their layer two, then would we even be having this conversation? Right. Yeah. If if they were having, if they didn't, you know, I, I think that would that would be a little difficult because their main goal is we want like financial or economic freedom for all through cryptocurrencies. Um, right. I think if, if they got into it, basically thinking that they were going to be part of the web three movement instead of the web three plus crypto movement, it just would have been a completely different company that would have had a very uncertain future. Mm -hmm. um, but I, I think the, it's a very ballsy approach that they're taking right now of calling for a, a, a creation or establishment of a regular regulatory body. But in my opinion, like looking back at historical examples or just looking looking at how things have played out when a similar goal was set, um, it starts out really great at the beginning, but it just gets too overregulated towards the end, in my opinion. Because um, and I can I can bring this up here, but there's a couple of um, there's a couple of main pillars that existed when um, the when when Coinbase put out the initial blog for the regulatory body, yeah. and not to get too deep into them, but there were four basically. Um, the main pillar pillar one basically being um, 
regulating digital assets under a separate framework. So basically understanding that these digital assets do not behave like um, like normal securities or normal um, shares of a company or anything like that, and that right. they need to be, you know, laws need to be put in, in laws need to be put forth um, that are modern and not ancient, basically. Um, there's also the need to basically designate one regulator for the digital assets market. And pillars three, three and four basically talk about protecting and empowering the holders of digital assets, which is enhancing transparency through appropriate disclosure requirements, protecting yep. against fraud and market manipulation. Um, but then the last one kind of stood out to me a little bit because it said um, the fourth pillar being promote interoperability and fair competition. So yep. this sounds like, you know, the, the, I'm I'm actually reading about this right now in in Capitalism in America, my my current mm -hmm. book, and um, one of the things they mentioned is that how from the 1940s to the 1970s, um, there was kind of a golden age of growth where um, fair competition was embraced, and there was a lot of it was it was kind of you know for the lack of a better phrase it was it was pure like free markets where people were able to um, compete and 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 businesses that were truly you know, fronts or shells went down and, and, and only the real real ones persevered. But then, you know, looking at what has happened from 1970 to today, where nowadays you have bailouts and a lot of government intervention and different stuff, I'm my 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 pessimistic self is thinking that Coinbase's proposal is gonna eventually head in that direction down the road. I mean, look, I Every time I hear the words crypto and regulator in the same sentence, like my eyes have to roll a little bit because I feel like this is the old guard of banking that has stepped into crypto and is deciding to bring back the old paradigms into this new world. And look, the, the reason I loved crypto to begin with, okay, when I first started really looking into it and looking into buying a Bitcoin and all that, I was like around 2013. Okay. The reason I loved crypto is because it appealed to my deeply held belief that delegating societal and corporate power to 900-year-old fucking semi-comatose old men who have been in charge of all the money forever was the most disastrous idea humanity of all cultures have had, right? Right. Now yeah. that you have these tokens that are somewhere in this sweet spot in between being equity in terms of ownership of the network and being currency in terms of the right to use the network, you know, uh, it's it's... It feels like such a massive step back to go back to an era where you can get doxxed and outed to the IRS for your use of a decentralized network. Yeah, yeah, and and, and that's not even a a, a thing like an, a sign that we're going to look forward to the future because in I think either episode three or three or two um, we talked about that when Compound had the ninety million dollar bug where the founder was actually reporting people who didn't return that co the that um, yeah basically that that amount uh, to the IRS's gain and yeah it, it just it, it it leaves a very big question mark for especially outsiders Look, looking the, in the crypto community is going to be split in two there's defi and non defi defi now has definitely taken off at a much faster pace than any other use case of blockchain right now in terms of value generated i don't believe that's going to continue to be, to be the case going forward i think we're going to see a lot more different uses Gaming is emerging now, the NFTs and art world that's emerging now, you know, kind of digital rights management with what Republic has recently launched with music NFTs. Right. That's that's emerging now. And it's all uh, being launched on uh, newer, faster, more secure, more malleable blockchains. Um, 
But at the end of the day, anything dealing with substantial amounts of money is going to invite the uh, prying eye of the regulators. Um, mm -hmm. And you know, the one I take solace in the fact that some regulatory regimes have been less heavy-handed in terms of dealing with the sort of a thing. So if you're familiar with like MakerDAO and Aave, which right. are crypto lending protocols, liquidity protocols, uh, or you know, uh, currently I think uh, I think Aave's on Av Avalanche and MakerDAO on Ethereum. Um, it's true; these are decentralized services, but I mean, it's it's uh, it's nice to see that the UK at least, you know, willing to license them as uh, uh, you know e-cash providers. I think was the term they used, but you know, kind of staying out of the general the general kind of day to day activities of these companies. Like you know, it's it's uh, it's good that jurisdictions have to compete for the business um of uh people generating people creating apps mm -hmm. you know but I, I still fear that in a world where when the the u.s sneezes everyone else catches a cold um they, they may just enforce american laws abroad you know god forbid that those american laws happen to be the harsher version of what's offered elsewhere and then we see a cessation in the innovation in these spaces but again right. that's that, that's DeFi. I mean, so, so, so what you see, just to make sure that that we got the idea right, is um, you're you're basically seeing the the regulations around Web three and the potential for them to go beyond. Um, basically, is potentially America's next foreign policy blunder, sort of. Um. I think in terms of economic policy, we have shot ourselves in the foot a little bit with uh, some of the anti-crypto sentiment going into the last infrastructure bill, at least on the financial side. Mm -hmm. um, that was a blunder. Whether that continues to snowball into a much bigger blunder that affects international operations of startups, I don't know. Um, I still think better judgment will prevail and it will be stripped out of future versions of the law. Um, but uh, I would personally feel better if DeFi was split from the rest of crypto activity in terms of oversight. Because I see right. really no reason for banking level oversight to come into the come into the NFT space, to come into the um, uh, the gaming space. It would just make it so difficult for a new upstart to operate. Right. I, th I think the approach that needs to be taken here isn't necessarily... So if you're looking at pure DeFi where you don't have single organizations that are trying to gather up a ton of money so that they can offer their own stable coins and kind of giving DeFi some centralized aspects. If you're looking at it purely from, say, different nodes in a blockchain or just a community where there's no single governing entity, the in terms of a regulatory framework, it might make more sense to approach this from a moderation perspective as a um, as just a traditional one of... of these are these are the guys that own all the money or own all the power. We're going to start putting rules to keep them in check. Mm -hmm. um, and and what I mean by that basically is you know it's it would be grossly generalizing to say that every person with a wallet or on some sort of blockchain um, is bad or is going to have the tendency to do um, like commit fraud or rug pulls or anything like that. And we're going to get into that like with our, with our next topic soon, but. Um, it, it's basically like you, you need to figure out a way to weed out those bad actors. And 
when yeah. money's involved, it gets a little weird, but. And you know, the Genesis story of this whole thing, I mean, what, where we are at today has strayed pretty far from the original ethos of the crypto hacker culture, where, you know, these hack houses where shoeless engineers were developing Tumblr wallets to make Bitcoin transactions untraceable. So you could use it on Agora or Silk Road or whatever, you know, mm -hmm. that idea gave birth to Monero. And there's a million different crypto Genesis stories just like that. And again, these crypto applications were built specifically to compete with the American dollar, you know, truly a cryptocurrency because they wanted to use an entirely separate medium of exchange and unit of account. So in that sense, they're competing with the dollar. But crypto cannot and will not die because old men who don't know how to use a flip phone and have half their net worth tied up in brick and mortar banking stocks, banking stocks can't grasp the revolutionary potential, not just in DeFi, but beyond. I mean, right. it, 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 it cannot and it will not happen. So this call by Coinbase to... Um, this call by Coinbase to create a new regulatory agency, I'm I'm simply hoping that it doesn't wind up being a monstrous mistake in retrospect ten years down the line when we realize that hey, oh you know this new agency just murdered innovation in this space. Right. I mean, I, I think in tech, the the looking at the, the the tech community in general, the the one mistake I don't want the U.S. to head into is to lose to another international player like China. So from the AI scene, you know, yeah, we're safe on that one. Yeah, yeah, from from the AI scene, <laughs> and crypto, you know, yeah, yeah, like you know, China's China's got it dominated in a in a freaking horrible way, but they 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 kind of have the advantage here. But crypto, yeah, China shot themselves in the foot, so we have the potential to to put a system that's efficient enough to basically um, become the world global center of the Web three movement and this new type of decentralized currency, and. What I think is going to be very, very annoying is um, I, I will be heartbroken if in a couple of decades we're going to have Brian Armstrong in front of 90-year-old senators basically saying, why does my phone not connect to the internet when I press this button? I think that, that would just be a horrible thing. Yeah. Well, they did it to Zuck. They'll do it to other people. Anyways. True, true. Uh, yeah, just like they say, history doesn't repeat itself, but it sure does rhyme. Um, but... So, so moving on to our next topic, I did want to highlight a very tiny point you said with part of the um, this entire movement that the, the, there's a small community of it, which is um, NFTs, and it's slowly making its way into video games, into art, into movies. But I wanted to touch on the video game thing because there's something that came out yesterday, which was very, very surprising. So Steam, um, basically one of the biggest video game distributors in the world, or just because it's video games, one of the biggest distrib distributors, period, um, announced that they are going to be taking off games that let users exchange NFTs or cryptocurrencies on there. Um, so basically removing all the current games that exist right now that use or, or allow users to um, exchange or earn cryptocurrencies for specific tasks and then they're also setting a new barrier to the distribute the to like the the seller side of if you're approaching us with a game that contains any sort of operations on the blockchain or works with anything that has real life value, um, it's an immediate no. So people are very very up in arms against this, and there's you know because it's something that came out just yesterday. There's sides to it, of course, and they're all currently debating with all sorts of speculation going around. But one thing I I, I need to pinpoint is 
like Steam is no stranger to controversial moderation decisions. So um, back in 2018, they took a very strict stance on um, sexual content in games where they let multiple indie game developers know that their games are being taken off of the platform with very short notice. Um, so when people kind of look back at that point or, or point in history and then look back at what's happening right now, um, there's a couple of theories that are popping up with what's going on right now. So a lot of people are basically saying that this is a move by Steam to avoid having items or games that can have real life value. Um, I personally, just to put my opinion in here, uh, really disagree with that because I vividly recall, and I think you do too, the economy that was basically created around Counter-Strike skins and knives and yep. how much that made CSGO so sticky as a game in terms of a community. Um, many, many, uh, many allowances blown on that stupidity, but yes. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I think the amount of money that I would have spent on McDonald's and CSGO skins during my high school years were looking back. Like if I, if I put that in something, um, I would not be sipping water out of a Rams cup that I got from a game. It would be something way more fancy. At least you could afford the uh, Rams game. True. But so my other brother took me and paid for the tickets, but because founder salaries, you know, you, you know how those are, but, uh, <laughs> um, yeah, the, it's not the, on the, the right, yeah, the, it's it's venture right. venture bros mean, mean means two. There's there's no three people involved. Right. Um, but um, there's the so so there's this other theory which basically says, um, Steam would like nothing to do with the crypto and NFT space, and especially due to the way that it intersects with the gaming industry. So what I'm referring to here is basically the whole evolved ape saga where. Um, Evil Ape, which is an anonymous developer, sold NFTs with the promise that they'd be included in a fighting game, um, but then seemingly basically took 2.7 million ETH and just ran and vanished, and no one knew nothing about him. So, 2.7 million of, ETH? Oh, no, no, sorry. $2.7 million, which translates to some amount of ETH. Okay, um, I was going to say that would be higher than like the GDP of Kuwait, I think. <laughs> true, true. Yeah. Um, but, so, it could be 2.7 million ETH uh, in some future catastrophe, but I think due to that lack of a regular regulatory framework, though, <laughs> I'll, um, I'll 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 talk to you offline. Okay. Uh, jokes. Signal. I, signal. Oh, no. okay. signal. Yeah. Right. Nah. I uh, I'm still trying to grasp how to sell the cloud to government people, so I'm not yeah. um, I'm not in the space. But um, so I, I think it's because you know the the reason. Steam probably wants nothing to do with the crypto and NFT space because of those instances is most likely due to that lack of a regulatory frame, framework that we talked about previously. So rug pulls and other shady tactics are going to con continue to exist. And those that could not care less about the industry as a whole and see it as a way to make a quick buck are just going to continue to abuse the mania and attention that this, this movement has until there are precedents set and, and, and just non-vague laws in general which even is causing the whole the whole Coinbase versus SEC thing. So, you know, it's it's kind of like Coinbase's push to establish a dedicated regulator might very well be the solution to this problem, um, assuming like a utopian best case scenario. But because of the different flavors of this issue that have seen that you've seen before in other markets, it'll just be very difficult to not overregulate. What if 
Okay, hold on. Now, these things need to be offered in a particular way, right? Uh, hold on. In terms of an equity offering, so say you're a publicly traded company or a company that wants to offer um, public uh, public uh, public equity for the first time, it needs to be done on a regulated exchange. So instead of the regulation focusing right. on the asset, what the what if the regulation focused on the exchange, where the exchange would have to verify the veracity of the claims of whoever seems to be listing an asset there? So I mean. For example, you cannot list on NASDAQ unless NASDAQ checks out your financials and they have a whole bunch of re reporting requirements and the rest of it. Um, but if if you were to list on a DEX, for example, and you wanted to list either a non-fungible token or a fungible token, I mean, wouldn't there be some burden on the exchange itself to verify authenticity and veracity of claims? I think that would... well. The thing is, you don't want to set a precedent for some kind of monstrous bureaucracy to grow and slow everything down. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think I, I, so. It's very yeah, it's it's a very interesting perspective that you brought up, basically, because what I'm kind of seeing it as is, you know, should the exchange be play should be should the exchanges be blamed for the messed up shit that the players in the exchange are doing. Is that is that kind of what you're trying to get to? I mean, I don't know about assigning full blame, but if there needs to be some kind of hurdle between the offerer and the buyer, would it not make sense to put that on the exchange? Because at the end of the day, if a shitcoin lists on an exchange and there's a rug pull and everyone's money disappears, then that exchange is, I mean, they're also dead. Right. Yeah, but you know, I, right I now I can set up a website and offer NFTs, and whoever wants to buy them can come, you know, pay the gas fee to have it minted and sent directly to them. And there's no exchange between me and them. Right. You know, and, and I can then turn around and sell it on OpenSea, and uh, you know, OpenSea would include a little disclaimer somewhere on the bottom that says, "Oh, by the way, there are a lot of uh, a lot of scams going around. Make sure this uh, asset is authentic. Check the account." Like you know, I bought an NFT that went to zero, by the way, on OpenSea. So I got I got to see, oh, I got to see a little bit into you know the actual verification process. It's one thing to verify the existence of the asset on the on Ethereum or on whatever blockchain, and it's mm -hmm. an entirely other thing to know that this asset was produced by the artist you think is producing it. Oh, I see what you mean. So right, yeah. so the, the, there's one. So it's it's one thing to verify that this is. So so the, are are you saying that it's 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 basically kind of ownership verification is one thing, but at the same time, just authenticity of the NFT there, that you're working there, there with. There is a distinct delineation between fraud happening on the blockchain. In other words, people are submitting things uh, under like you know a fraudulent pretense, mm -hmm. and then real world fraud where. You actually are an artist and have actual art being offered as NFTs on OpenSea, and you're called, I don't know, Spanksy. And then I start an account called Spanksy underscore, and I, you know, copy paste a lot of your JPEGs and then also put them on Ether and also sell them. And people think that what they bought from me was actually from you. And that's right. where like the real world implication kind of, uh, you know, then we start looking at kind of existing investor protection laws. Or consumer yeah. protection laws in this case, but exactly, um, you know, I, be, I think, I, I think, um, you know, people are quick to run to the blockchain in order to avoid um, 
the, the probability that a, that a marketplace can kill them. So if right. if if we reintroduce, so I'm I'm giving you know the downside to my suggestion earlier, but if we reintroduce mm -hmm. the marketplace or the exchange as the mechanism of regulation, we could go back to oh you can get canceled, right? Just like you can be thrown off Twitter, um, but not thrown off BitClout. You know, we've just negated the, the the proposition, the value proposition of BitCloud. If BitCloud can throw you off again, right? Right. So, I don't know. I mean, I think the idea that something can can exist on the blockchain and never ever be taken down has a lot of very clear benefits, especially in say very oppressive countries with no freedom of speech and no economic freedom and that kind of a thing. Mm -hmm. um, but as far as games are concerned, I mean it. It is a matter of economic freedom, even though people don't think of games as serious things, right? I mean, it's still an industry, and it still creates a lot of, uh, you know, a, a lot of value for a lot of people participating in it. So, you know, Epic right. Games, right? That's a Epic Games is a major video game distributor. Um, they have a, a very high-profile dispute with Apple, and mm -hmm. Apple still has them booted from the App Store. By the way, you know, the the right, crypto yeah. nerd, the hardcore crypto nerd from 2013, would tell you like, oh. If the app store was on the blockchain and nobody controlled it, then you can't throw me out. And that's the benefit of blockchain. That's the benefit of crypto. Mm -hmm. But um, you know, it's it's Epic Games in this case is taking the opportunity by not acting and allowing NFT or crypto-based games to sell on their platform. So they're indicating that they might be the next, you know, de facto home marketplace for anyone who wants to participate in this new generation of video games and video game assets, tradable video game assets. Um, if anyone is going to see the value of not being able to, you know, kill someone on their platform, uh, you know, of, of being just unilaterally deplatformed um, at the will of a corporate bureaucrat, it must be Epic Games, right? And I think I think you know, Epic Games has been on the the you know, lack of a better word, people side of, of a lot of these disputes that it's been a part of, you know, with, with Apple versus Epic, they yeah. are part of the creator community, although they're pretty massive, but they, they're they kind of pushing for what most in, in, like indie creators want. And um, I do have to say that they are assuming quite a bit of risk with allowing these NFT and crypto games to sell on their platform. But I mean, that's kind no, of like- I, I disagree. Interesting. Okay. How so? I mean, the, the, the true risk would be um, continuing to allow Apple to dictate their, you know, publishing rights and their, you know, economic uh, model. You know? Right. 70% of, of App Store revenue comes from games. Mm -hmm. And, uh, the, you know, Apple is dependent on them for App Store revenue. But, you know, the game publishers are absolutely dependent on the App Store for access to their customers. Because you can't sideload right. on iOS, remember? That's right. You know, and and yeah. uh, Epic, I think, has already taken the enormous risk of basically loading a gun and then handing it to Apple and asking Apple to point that gun at their own head, you know, at Epic's head, and mm -hmm. uh, just hope that they turn out to be good people. Which, in retrospect, you know, they didn't exactly have a choice. They had to do that in order to access their customers, and it did backfire on them. So right. if, if anyone is going to win the PR war and uh, you know be a person of the people and allow them absolute unfettered access with no censorship uh, and no corporate bureaucrat who can throw you off your uh, uh, who can deplatform you at will, 
then I think Epic Epic is going to come out on top. Yeah, I mean, I, I I definitely think so too. So so from that capacity of of looking at looking at it basically from the App Store, the the App Store's iron grip on um, indie game developers trying to reach a massive market, and then Epic trying to push for, um, basically pushing for there to be other channels for distribution. If mm -hmm. if I want to make a game that that should be sold or played on iOS devices, I'm I'm on the same page on that end, but. The the to clarify what I meant by risk when I initially um, talked about it, I think it's just you know, it it's safe to say that it's everything right now in in the crypto space, which is 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 kind of like the wild west. It, it's it's why Coinbase is kind of pushing for establishing a dedicated regulator. Um, but what I what I'm saying is like the the um, Epic Games not knowing that there isn't. There aren't there there isn't a single regulator, and they might be heading into a uncharted territories or gray zone by allowing games. Uh, let's ignore the voice crack right there, but allowing no. the <laughs> NFT, or, <laughs> allowing the NFT or crypto allowing games. the NFT. Or crypto. <laughs> you see, I sounded credible when I say like, "Oh, I'm a founder," but then that happens, and it's just I'm back at I'm back at like. Don't you have class tomorrow? I mean, I at this point maybe I'm not sure. <laughs> um, okay, yes or no question? Did mom yeah. make you dinner today? She made me dinner yesterday. <laughs> I'm an independent adult. <laughs> okay. Like, I think I think Epic Games. Look, I think Epic Games. It's time for Epic Games to act like a startup again, right? Yes. Yeah. They've been. They've had a big boy bully them into submission, and mm -hmm. the legal fight continues with Apple. There's apparently no right. end in sight. Apple has made it clear that they will not um, allow Epic to resume normal operations on the App Store until they have exhausted all legal options. Their word, not mine. Right. Um, Epic needs to act like a startup again. Let's take let's. It's time for a massive product initiative, and mm -hmm. uh, you know this is uh, the, look. Given what is happening in the market right now, and given that consumers have have begun to realize that oh, we have more power than we think. Um, and we can demand products however we would like them to be um, delivered to us. You know, we want the ability to sideload. We want different payment options. We want the ability to use crypto assets in games. Right. You know, Epic is stepping in at the moment and absolutely taking advantage of that change in ethos. Mm -hmm. Timing, timing is everything, and I think it's on their side. So Epic should take this risk. Epic should allow nft and crypto based games they should allow wallets in their games they should allow fungible they should be allowing fungible and non-fungible tokens but now i think if that ends up being very successful which it could given the size of the gaming market and the overlap you know even on mm -hmm. discord between crypto and gamers right you know i i think what could happen is the way this could backfire is if the sec declares in-game tradable assets that are independently priced it's um is that a security maybe because because one thing that i'd say as a rebuttal to that or, or as a as a a question to your question is when when we were at the peak of the csgo like micro economy where you had um all these skins and knives being traded yeah there were tens of thousands of dollars being made every day and and 
you can you had websites where you were able to literally bring up a chart of a gun's skin and see how the prices fluctuated with time and per patch mm-hmm. as as the weapon was either nerfed or made stronger. Um, what did the government do back then? Nothing. It was just you know game mods, I guess. Which, by the way, yeah. if you bought a mod for a game, even today, in a game that is not crypto-based, that's not a security. But right. I think what comes into question is how are those assets actually produced in the game? So, in other words, does it fit the definition of value being derived primarily from the efforts of others? In right. which case, someone can claim it as a security, and all of a sudden, you need the SEC stamp of approval on your next version of Half-Life. Yeah, some 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 random game. I think that I I do think that because of Ep- the, the the way Epic Games is headed, not only they're going to need to spend a lot of that Fortnite money on legal fees. Um, yeah, they're they're going to have an arm. They're they're going to need to have an army of lawyers to kind of fight off all this uncertainty. And you know, Epic Games x Coinbase as as sort of a collaboration or a partner team to kind of bring this new generation of video games of financial freedom of, of of just web3 in general is an awesome kick-ass duo but the 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 one hilarious thing and this is kind of more of a thought experiment is what if because steam has taken a completely anti-crypto stance on their video game distribution platform um epic became epic becomes the monopoly single stop shop for 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 any game developer who wants to work with cryptocurrencies or nfts to be in and it goes and, from publisher to marketplace and dev tools yes and so so it goes from like distribution platform and publisher to a marketplace but then at the same time what if they run into an app like what if they turn into another apple app store so mm. say along the lines like someone comes in and goes um okay i'm 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 okay let, let's not say that it's a new like web 4 or some shit but let's say that um someone new comes in and basically says I have this unique usage yeah. of cryptocurrencies and NFTs in my game um and Epic Games says no they can't go to Steam because Steam is completely anti this so like well, well what do they do A we don't know for a fact in this hypothetical universe if Steam ultimately changes their mind which I suspect they will and, Interesting. And and B, as a fellow student of history, I think you are as aware as I am that history is replete with examples of the oppressed becoming the oppressors. Right. Yeah. So that's exactly the, what I was the next generation to. of Web three, you know, gaming companies end up having to sue Epic for access. Mm-hmm. That's it. Could happen. I mean, it's. I'm trying to think of that Batman quote. You either die a villain. No, no, no. You either die a hero or you live long enough to see yourself become the villain. Become become right? the villain, indeed. Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> That's exactly what this is. So, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, it looks like Epic is not about to die a hero, but will they live long enough and make the right moves to become a villain? To, or, to become the, the Apple App Store of, of the Web3 game, yeah. gaming movement. But, you know, a key difference is uh, Epic does not control the operating system of your phone. So... Right. And and another thing that I must add is um there are individual games like there if if I want to make a game for a PC or a Mac, um I can host it on my own website. So I'm not completely reliant on on that distribution platform. But it's kind of like saying I can like we can put this podcast on our own website, 
versus yep. putting it on Spotify and and and, and the podcasts app, right? Um, there's very big and obvious benefits of going through a distributor, but yeah, that's that's just going to open Epic Games to a lot of what ifs about you know the next ten years as Web three starts to become more normalized, crypto and NFTs and um, just just the their concepts start becoming widely accepted. Um, we can totally see a, a small indie game studio versus Epic Games in the future. Yeah. You know, I think Web3, and this is not my definition, I'm, I am struggling to remember who originally right. said this. I read it somewhere. But Web3 is basically everything you're doing right now, plus the addition of a wallet where you have, you know, kind of an authentic individual digital signature and um and uh, you know currency to spend on network for a particular purpose so right that's smart. Just, just imagine adding a wallet to literally anything you're doing mm-hmm. you know gaming or not i mean i'm interested like imagine if you had a stable coin wallet that went alongside your your whatsapp account so even people doing business on whatsapp if you want to sell me something we can process the sale right there in the chat and i can pay you instantaneously with a stable coin that's actually I, I, yeah. Okay. I if Facebook think, uh, does that. That was my idea. <laughs> I was just gonna say, like, imagine you have a single Facebook wallet, and you know, someone sends you money on WhatsApp, and then you go over to Instagram and you find these like these sweatpants that you really like, and you can buy them with the stable coin that your friend sent you, all through like Facebook wallet. Yeah, but imagine what that will do for commerce. Oh, it would break e-commerce as we know it. Yeah, instant settlement, and I can buy from anywhere, ship to anywhere, without worrying about like you know, oh, do they have payment options for me living in Lithuania? But right. it's, I think, yeah. I think from a from a seller's perspective, you're you're like, I know it's not not a business, but like the seller's tam is the entire world at that point. Yeah, because well, it I just mean, becomes a question of WhatsApp it, it is becomes the a question world, of like, so that is true. Which is when they went down, and that was fun last episode. But um, yeah. I think I think the very interesting part is just yeah, looking at it from a seller's perspective. Um, if I have a deal with like FedEx or um, the USPS or like international shipping, and then at the same time I now can accept a single currency from anywhere in the world because the platform that I'm on works with a single wallet that deals with a single stable coin um it just becomes a question of logistics like if i'm in siberia and i order something from los angeles like can i mm-hmm. ship it there or can fedex ship it there um and it just becomes a uh the that e- the, the the industry of e-commerce kind of veers its head towards the shipping industry and it's like yeah well we've caught up can you do this now and you know lord knows maybe amazon comes in they're like well we're a shipping company now and yeah well, the fact that uh, there's literally about 80 or 90 ships um, docked not far from where you are currently waiting to be uh, right. unloaded at the port of Los Angeles and the port of Long Beach, um, you know, there will always be a bottleneck. There's always someone there to ra- rain on your parade. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And whether it's uh, ever given you know, pulling a Tokyo drift and lodging itself in the, in the Suez Canal or uh, Cairo drift. Or- Cairo drift, um, or or even yeah. I kind of wonder like we said, like, if you know that I'm stuck in your canal. 
<laughs> I will not sing the rest of this song because I will be hit with a DMCA. Um, Probably. Yeah. Um, but uh, no, yeah, what, what I'm saying is like, it's, yeah, it's going to be very interesting to see how the currently understaffed bottleneck, massive, massive issue apparently, um, just shipping and logistics industry is going to adopt this because they're yep. already dealing with a bottleneck. So putting more shit on top of it is just going to be... Bitcoin hey, fixes and, and, this. Yeah, <laughs> laser <Right>? eyes. <laughs> um, exactly. Well, it's at like 64 yeah. grand now. So, I mean, I can't make fun of them anymore. The next That's dive. That's true. Um, I know. Freaking by the way, Doge I want to... I want to hit that price. I, 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 I want to end with like a very brief Bitcoin-related story. Uh, you know, in okay. case there are any doubts, this is, is that this has officially become a crypto uh, podcast. Podcast, um, yeah. So when I was in grad school, 2013 to 2015... Um, I was doing my master's of finance and I had some classes that would run late in the day and uh, I would get a bite to eat after. So w w when you exit Harvard's main campus, um, there's a place called the uh, Mount Auburn Center, if I recall correctly. And there was okay. uh, a number of dining options there. And uh, there was a little Indian place. It was sort of like an Indian Chipotle. It was called Chutney. Interesting. I took you there once, didn't I? No, Anyways, I don't so, recall. Maybe. So, so this Indian Chipotle called Chutneys, and I would get the same thing every time. They'd start making it the second I wa they, I walked in and they saw me, and it was my go-to <laughs> meal after like you know sixty hours of classes or whatever I was doing. And right there in the food court, um, just over by the Ben and Jerry's, there was a little Bitcoin ATM, and I have faint memories. Of, well, the thing is, I would walk past the machine every single time I went into Mount Auburn Center to go to Chutney's, okay? Right, yeah. And I, I, I just faintly remember between 2013 and 15, it was, I don't know, like some two, three, four hundred, kind of that price range. And the price would be displayed very prominently on the front of the machine. Um, mm -hmm. I, you know, I just watched the gyrations of Bitcoin wondering where it could go. And I distinctly remember, the one thing I distinctly remember was thinking, that won't go much higher than that. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I if had the only same I had spent all the money that I spent on the extra side samosas on chutneys buying Bitcoin. <laughs> right. I would have. I. I would have. You know, gotten back all the tuition. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. I think it would have just been hilarious. Honestly. Yeah. Also, cause... this this podcast would be co-hosted with Pomp. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. I. I think. I don't know. Yeah. There, there's a. I, I do think that if there's a, you know, what's the opposite of a black swan, like a white swan where an unexpected thing happens, where just immediately the price kind of rockets up. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Yeah, it's, it's, it's very, very interesting. But, you know, everyone has 2020 hindsight vision. Yeah. So Lord knows there, there might be a super shitty altcoin right now that's going for 0. 0.00000 something that's going to be worth like, a million bucks in a couple of years. Yeah, I don't know. That's 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 just gambling to me. I'd much rather invest in a real protocol. But yeah, I, I would like to listen to earnings calls. <laughs> <laughs> oh God, please don't let that come to crypto. Anyways, <laughs> I got a roll. So same, same. Um, until next week. Until next week, indeed. Uh, last sort of wrapping up notes. Uh, Please, if 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 you think that this is awesome, make sure to share it with a friend. Um, make sure to follow us. So this show actually has a Twitter account. We have the at Venture Bros Show. Um, you'll see it in Aziz Zarai's bio. Um, 
but yeah, like give us any sort of feedback if you think there's anything we could do to improve um, each episode as we as we as we go on. And you know um, what, I'm you're... I'm gonna make this interesting before I end this. Right. Uh, for those of you still listening, a clearly you don't have a life, and b <laughs> for the seventh person, seventh to okay. DM me the words "fuck you" on Twitter, <laughs> I will okay. send you one Dogecoin. Interesting. That that's a really great offer. Yeah, and I'm I'm gonna get a sound clip to prove that I to prove that I actually did it. All right, I seventh person to say "fuck you" to me on Twitter. Via DMs, and well, actually, not even via DMs. If you want to do it straight up on on the timeline, go for it. But I will send you one Dogecoin, <laughs> and with that, see you next week. And and one last thing, to 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 counter to to on the other side of that offer, um, fifth person to either DM or at me with stop eating Chipotle, I will Venmo you twenty five bucks. You're an idiot because I'm giving away 25 cents and you're giving away $25. But okay. Peace out. It's a bet. Alrighty. Take care. Thank you.